0: You're listening to In Technology, your source for trends about security, sustainability, and technology.
1: If a particular end user has preferences or you're inferencing on an individual's end user's preferences to improve the efficacy of an AI chatbot to give you better responses, you don't necessarily want that in the cloud.
0: Welcome to the In Technology Podcast. I'm your host, Camille Moorhart, and I have with me today Chris Kelly. He is Vice President of Client Architecture at Intel and also General Manager of Software Definition and Strategy for Platforms. Welcome to the podcast, Chris.
1: Hi, hey, Camille. Thanks for having me.
0: So we are just going to dive right into a fairly meaty topic. We're going to talk about how endpoints and software are affected by artificial intelligence evolving toward distributed computing. We'll walk through it in stages here. I wonder if you could kick us off by providing some context as to this evolution of artificial intelligence into distributed computing models.
1: Yeah, it is a really interesting topic. The AI world is kind of undergoing a supernova, we'd like to say. It's almost like we're being thrown to the edge of the universe at light speed, trying to keep up with the advances in AI. But the AI revolution, which is upon us, is happening on clients now as well. And AI models, as they continue to get larger and continue to be refined, we don't believe that those things are gonna end up living on the cloud forever. There's a bunch of different reasons for that, right? AI models on the cloud, as they continue to get more sophisticated, are gonna be expensive to be able to transfer that amount of data between the cloud and an edge and and an end user and, and an endpoint. And a lot of end users are going to end up needing very specific tailored responses or co-pilot trained or inference models that have specific responses or content that they care about versus trying to go use an AI model or have a chatbot response from the cloud. If you're an enterprise, for example, you want to be able to use an AI model to specifically help engineers design a chip. Or if you're a retailer, you want to be able to have responses as a retail group that are specific to your own products, you can't really put all that stuff in the cloud and have it be both cheap and private. So privacy and security is an important aspect of AI and clients. So the only way to really make that work is AI models instead of them only residing in one place in this sort of continuum of cloud edge and and endpoint is to be able to have a lot of co-pilots and AI models reside on an endpoint. Typically, I think what'll happen is you'll have large models that'll be trained by data center and edge products and then inferencing will happen on endpoints. We're building capabilities into PCs that will allow that to begin to occur with our next generation product. And we we'll are working closely with Microsoft to be able to open that up. But the fun part will be a hybrid AI model where you've actually got this one model or a set of submodels that has to spread across the continuum of data center edge and endpoint. And ensuring that all that stuff works together is a really interesting sort of hard distributed computing problem.
0: I assume software is going to solve it. Yeah. How is that evolving or what kind of different models are we starting to see emerge to help orchestrate that sort of hybrid AI as you describe it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we played around with a couple different techniques. Uh, I think there'll be multiple techniques that get used as typically in tech, we'll experiment a bunch and then some winners will probably emerge or some standards will emerge. Uh, At Intel, we played around with the notion of extending Kubernetes, which is sort of the existing open source-ish container technology in data centers. Um, If you've got a Linux-based client or a device that can talk Linux, like using the WSL2 interface with Windows, it's relatively easy to go do that. And that's one mechanism. Like if you want to put a model inside a Kubernetes container and you think you can have that reasonably perform, you can extend that then to an endpoint. There's some issues with that, there's some security issues with it on a laptop or a desktop, a Kubernetes container has a tendency to be a pretty large image and PCs and endpoints generally are concurrent devices. We don't just do one thing. We do lots of different things. So when you layer a Kubernetes container or on top of a client, other stuff stops working very well. So that will be one technique that may be used. The other technique I think that's really interesting that's emerging in the ecosystem and will provide potentially some additional ubiquity is using web workloads and web techniques to be able to then move workload to where, uh, you know, user data is. And the key thing is not having to move data, right? So you don't want to have to move gobs of data. You want to move models and, and applications, if you will, to where the data exists.
0: Was that because of latency or is it because of transmission cost or is it because of privacy what, or all three? or yes, what are Yeah, the-
1: excellent. All three, right? All three. Mm-hmm. It ends up being a much larger amount of data bits that you'd have to move if you're moving larger and larger data or even source data for a model. It just gets prohibitively expensive. And if you're moving data around on a network, the hypothesis is that latency will forever get smaller. But as you approach the speed of light, there's going to be a limit of how fast you can get things from one place to another. Moving the application to the data avoids some of that problem. But I think the most interesting one for us at Intel is the notion of privacy, not just for regulatory reasons, but sort of also the right thing to do reasons. If a particular end user has preferences or you're inferencing on an individual's end user's preferences to improve the efficacy of an AI chatbot to give you better responses, you don't necessarily want that in the cloud. And if you're an enterprise, you definitely don't want your private confidential proprietary information jumbled into the giant chatbot in the sky kind of thing. And, you know, Microsoft and OpenAI know this. This is why the creation of specific copilots, for example, for enterprises becomes an important aspect. So all three, Camille, are important to get done.
0: So um, what is the status of Moore's Law today?
1: Yeah, it's alive, but it's morphed a little bit.
0: What is it? Remind us what Moore's Law is.
1: Yeah, so essentially doubling the density of transistors in any given unit area every roughly two years. Some generations it's two, some generations it's a little longer than two. There have been a couple generations where we've been able to improve even on that but uh, you know the, the notion of all of us in the semiconductor industry is to keep the physical aspects of moore's law alive and we can continue to go do that the advanced DUV techniques that are being used are pretty amazing i mean almost bridging on science fiction stuff now there's a corollary which we have to acknowledge which is it is getting more expensive to produce a wafer in order to be able to continue down the path of physical moore's law reductions right and There's enough demand and requirements in the industry to to continue reducing that cost. But every time you have to jump over a big technology leap, it stands to reason that things will get more expensive, certainly for a time. And so for advanced node manufacturing, it's more expensive to make a wafer. How do we compensate for that? So we compensate for that change by using disaggregated technologies, chiplet technologies on package to be able to then mix and match processes and suit those processes to taste. For the products that we need to go make think about a, a microprocessor an intel product not just about cpu cores but we have a bunch of ips on that particular product graphics engines, npus a bunch of io technologies media accelerators etc not each of those ips needs to have an advanced node on the same pace that say a cpu core does or a gpu may need to and so to balance sort of both cost and R and D investments and reuse opportunities, we use a disaggregated architecture to put the right IP on the right transistors. And as costs morph and increase that way, we can also then mitigate having to move everything to an advanced node where you may not necessarily need the advancement of it. It's funny. We don't often talk about packaging technologies or packaging and test technologies as part of Moore's law. But in my view, they absolutely are. There's been as many or more advances in advanced packaging through spec memories, direct attach, uh, die attach technologies, uh, IO that allow for die to sit right next to each other on on a single package. And that whole combination, that whole sort of cocktail makes it such that you can continue to see the advances in Moore's Law generally.
0: At a high level, what are some of those sci-fi evolutions in actually chip production or transistor size reduction?
1: Yeah. You think about the history of how we've made transistors. Everything started out sort of on a single plane. And the high-level changes that have happened over the course of, what, the last 10, 15 years have really been twofold. So looking at different, call them exotic, you could call them just another element of the periodic table, making chemistry changes to base transistors and transistor construction and metal construction. That's sort of number one. The other one is taking that essential planar transistor construction technology and making it 3D. So we started using trenches and trench vets, and now you're starting to see the evolution of, of transistors where instead of gates and gate technology being only in one plane or in one and a half planes, you're starting to see a full 3D gate technology where we can get more contact between the, the gate and the drain and densify transistors. So it's sort of like an all-in Camille, like so chemistry physical construction um, metal stack and metallization and, and deposition of metals you also have to keep up with that you have to interconnect all the transistors and be able to get signals in and out of them you know i don't work in that part of the company i work in the design part of the company i'm always in awe of some of the stuff that our colleagues over in the tmg world come up with and, and what we're able to do to advance the bowel front of fab technology it's pretty amazing
0: That is pretty spectacular. So what other things should people be thinking about or aware of when we think of client computing and moving forward?
1: I think it's a really exciting time to be working on PCs. You know, if the people have declared the death of the PC many times, and I'm sorry to say they're wrong, the PC's never been a more vital or important device in people's lives, not just through the sort of explosion of video conferencing technologies when we all could come into an office, But, you know, the PC and the PC platform is where you go to do your most important valued work that you're going to be judged on, right? So if you're in an enterprise environment and you want to do something and and produce content, you're going to be judged as to the outcome on. You're probably not doing that on anything other than your PC platform. The PC is the ultimate Darwinian device. (laughs) Uh, It's the, the device in the endpoint stack that evolves the fastest and is capable of handling and managing through evolutions and changes. And we still believe that to be true. Of course, the number one big change you'll see in PCs over the next three or four years, we've talked about briefly already, which is the advent of AI capabilities and the AI PC era sort of beginning. If we're honest, you've been able to run AI content, actually AI models on PCs for a while. There's instructions that we've built into our CPUs that handle sort of matrix calculations. As the AI supernova continues to pace, uh, we need a lot more capability to be able to run co models and helper models, transformers. And we're not even in the middle innings of AI evolution on PCs. We're just beginning the game, if you will. And so that'll be the big change that happens over the next two or three years, Camille, is adding AI capability, adding end user and developer capabilities to develop on them. But the thing about AI is AI is an enhancement or horizontal augmentation to all the things that you do with your PC today anyway. So like you'll have AI enhanced video effects Mm -hmm. to be able to make people like me look way better than we do when we talk about stuff like this, you know, whether it's presentations or word documents or code, the work that you do and the workflow that you do will end up being enhanced by AI enhanced functions. So AI is not sort of like an application class on a PC so much as it is, Uh, augmentation to workflow, where then that will be able to spawn either new end user applications, it'll be able to spawn new ISV value as they add AI to their existing workflows. So the thing that gets me the most excited about AI and PCs is to see what our ISVs are going to do with it. Once the capability exists and you can count on having the ability to run a model on a PC pretty regularly. What are our ISVs going to do with the capability that we provide?
0: Being independent software companies.
1: Yeah, ISV means independent software vendor. Yeah, sorry for using the jargon, but yeah, that's right. Adobe, uh, Autodesk, the web and web workload folks that are making apps on the web using web APIs. All of those applications will be enhanced by AI capabilities locally on a client. And that's the exciting thing.
0: Very cool. Well, Chris Kelly, VP of Client Architecture and also GM of Platform Software Strategy and Development. Very great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me, Camille. Good to see you and be well. Take care.
0: Thanks. Stay tuned for the next episode of In Technology and follow at Tom M. Garrison and Camille at Morehart on Twitter to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guests and author and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Intel Corporation.